Hey friends, this episode was recorded before the election, though I think you'll find much of the content relevant. We'll be discussing the implications of the election in future episodes. For now, thanks for listening, and take care of yourselves. Welcome to Female of the Species, a podcast for the Sisterhood of Science. Oh wow, my levels are really high. This week I'm joined by Nikita... Oh my god, can't even say your name. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a great start, folks! This week I am joined by Nikita Van Beanie. Got I it. did it. I think yeah, I mispronounced yeah. your name all four years you were my student, just so you know. It's, I didn't notice, so it's fine. Perfect. Okay, so as you uh, may have just heard, Nikita was once a student of mine um, here at Williams College and has now gone on to um, bigger and brighter things in New York City. So Nikita, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days? Sure. Um, so I graduated Williams in 2015 with a degree in geoscience Um, and then after that I moved to New York City to become a teaching assistant in the Bronx um, for geometry for high schoolers and after that program ended I decided to start pursuing my master's in teaching um, through the Richard Gilder graduate program at the Museum of Natural History in Manhattan. So does that mean that you just like play with dinosaurs all day? You know, I really wish that I had access to the big bone room, but I don't. It's like the one place in the museum that my ID badge does not grant me access to. Yeah, I'm like not allowed to go in there. Oh my God, that's so sad. Um, I know. (laughs) I mean, I can go in like the exhibits and stuff, but I can't go see the actual like big bone room. Um, So yeah, it basically means that I take classes like any graduate program and it's a residency based program so I also am teaching right now um co-teaching specifically with a mentor teacher and I do that for this whole academic year where are you teaching um I'm teaching at a middle school in the south bronx right now so I've got sixth seventh and eighth graders um teaching earth science regents to the seventh and eighth Uh graders and just general science to the little sixth graders so since you have a pretty stressful job these days and you're really busy, what are some of your favorite ways to take care of yourself when things go wrong or you've had a really tough day with the, the little bundles of joy? Little, <laughs> nuggets. little nuggets. Yeah, that's what I call them. Um, <laughs> they don't know that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, a, that's right. Hopefully, hopefully um, none of them are listening to us. Yeah, <clears throat> seriously. Um, so I recently got a membership to a pool oh. that's only – two blocks from my apartment um, and it's pretty inexpensive. So I go swimming sometimes and that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Other times I basically just like shut off my computer and read or if my girlfriend's around, like watch a movie, usually like Disney or Hercules. (laughs) Like we watched Hercules last night. Are you excited for the new Disney movie? Moana? Oh my God. I've been like watching trailers and I mean it looks out. amazing. Yeah, it yeah. looks beautiful. I'm really excited. So, uh, what is one of your favorite things about being involved in science? I think the coolest part for me is understanding the things that I see. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that like ties into why I was a geos major and not like 
a chem major. Yeah, it's hard to see I just like in the same way. Yeah. Right, right. Like field work and field trips were always something that I really loved. And being able to like go to the beach and like pick up rocks and be like, I could probably think of like think of ways that this got right, here or right. like why it looks like this, yeah. which is cool. Yeah. That's like one of my favorite parts. Do you feel like it's hard for you to transfer that to your students in a classroom environment? Yeah, it's a it's a little bit challenging, especially because a lot of the students that I'm working with now, like we live in New York City. Right. So like, oh, like I'm working in the Bronx, for example, like a lot of them haven't even been to Manhattan. Students get the student fare card, which gets them two trips a day, okay. but not on the weekends. Right. And if they use that to get to school, then like, that's it. Yeah. Right. But yeah, as far as transferring that like love of science over to kids, I think having as many objects as possible, like luckily in earth science, we can bring in actual minerals and rocks, but otherwise it's a little bit tough, especially because a lot of earth processes are so spatial and spatial things are really difficult for students. Yeah. I'm always surprised by that. It's like students ask me questions and I'm like, oh wow, like you just can't picture this in your head, can you? Like how do I help you do that? It's really tough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear about your shine theory pick this week because rumor has it that it's somebody that I know. You know, you're, you've got it. Yeah. Um, so my shine theory pick is my best friend in the whole world, Meg, who graduated a year before me. So 2014 and then went on to teach for a year and now is getting her master's in sedimentology uh, at the University of Louisiana in Baton Rouge. So should I just talk about Meg? Is that what I do? Yeah, just tell us why Meg is awesome and what she, and what she means to you in your life. Try not to cry. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like already emotional. <laughs> okay, so I met Meg as we were both becoming geoscience majors. I was a sophomore and she was a junior, but I also like felt really seen by mm-hmm. her. Like she is like incredibly, incredibly supportive and validating. And she's also just, like, a total badass. She just, like, is kind of fearless. Yeah, she's just like, I'm going to go do this Um, crazy thing this summer. Bye. (laughs) Like, when she went to Alaska or when she, like, went to Australia. And I was like, (laughs) okay, have fun. Or even, like, when she picked up after graduation, it was just like, I'm going to St. Paul to teach. And I was like, okay. Um, I just think that she is incredibly brave in her choices and what she chooses to Mm -hmm. pursue especially given like the world of science and how, you know, she's studying sedimentology down in the South and is like from a liberal place. Like she grew up in Connecticut and went to school at Williams and now she's in Baton Rouge and it's like very different. Has it been hard for her? I mean, I don't want to speak for her. There have definitely been like cultural shocks, but she's also like one of the other things I admire about her is that she's incredibly adaptive. Like she just adapts very quickly Mm -hmm. comparatively Mm -hmm. to me. Like, mm-hmm. I take a long time. Like, when I moved to New York City, I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. for a while. She's also just been, like, a constant support in my life since we've been friends. We still try and text each other, like, yeah. at least once a day, yeah. which is really nice. It's, like, a constant thing to have. And when I do see her, which I don't know when I'm going to see her next, which is a little shitty, it's like nothing happened. Right. You just pick right up. Yeah. Like one of those. those are the best yeah, friendships. It's really yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had some pretty fun adventures together, so... I find like friends, my adventure more, my friends who I consider to be more adventurous than me, really inspiring because it sort of 
lets you know that these things are possible and that you could do them too, even if you're not necessarily going to. You're like, oh, I could just like go to Alaska for the summer yeah. or go on a 24-hour yeah, exactly. road trip, like whatever. Right. She's just like, yeah, it's just yeah. unconditional love. That's what it is. Hard to find. Although I think that's how Kaylee feels about me, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> She's like so stoic. I like can't tell what that dog. My is dog, doing really? Um, yeah. Unconditional, never-ending love for me, obviously. <laughs> Always, yeah. Do you want to tell us about your fun, goofy science toy? Wait, is this yeah. my rock thing? My Ignis rock. <laughs> it broke. So part of our classes is like doing um like co-teaching demonstrations basically like teaching each other practice lessons and one of them was making the three different types of rocks using crayons Mm. so you get like a bunch of crayons right and you get a sledgehammer type thing and cheese graters this already sounds amazing handles (laughs) and metal spoons and you basically like you can start at any station which is really cool so you could start at the igneous station and melt down crayons um you could start at the sedimentary station and grate crayons so you're making sediment oh. and then you take the hammer and you like compact it right <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the metamorphic station is like also the hammer you're like right smashing right. stuff yeah, yeah um yeah, yeah. but you can like then take your like scraps so like i what i did was i took like a blue and purple crayon mm-hmm. and i made sediments and i compacted them and then i melted down Gotcha. Sedimentary rock. Um, so you went through like the entire rock cycle. Yeah, it was super fun. Yeah. And it doesn't look fun. Mine was the prettiest, but it's, you know, it's like no, not a big deal. But it's kind who's of, counting? It's like kind of a big deal. <laughs> and now, whenever I look at it, I like feel proud. It brings me joy. So one of the things that I always admired about you as a student was that you. Um, were involved in lots of different organizations on campus that were um, pushing for social justice of different kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that was really important to you and that you incorporated into your life. And I think that um, our department sort of felt a little apolitical to me. And so it was really great to have someone who was um, willing to sort of speak out about these issues just around the department. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's something that's really important to you as a teacher. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more about how um, social justice plays a role in in your teaching and your thinking about yourself as a teacher. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I have like a million <laughs> things to say. <laughs> I think that education in general is a matter of social justice. Like I think that issues of inequality and injustice play out in school systems and set up students to experience that for the rest of their lives especially Mm -hmm. in this country. So like, Mm -hmm. if you think about women of color, for example, like the rates of suspension for black and brown students who are female is through the roof. Um, And like, if you think about the stereotypes that go along with being a woman of color, um, generally it's like aggressive or loud, loud. yeah, Yeah. Um, things that are just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So like it starts early and like there's a reason people study and write about and talk about the school to prison pipeline Mm -hmm. um or like if you think about like school buildings literally become prisons and vice versa like it is both physical 
and metaphorical, if right, you, I right, guess, right. you know, um, and like the ways in which we basically train students. We we have them operate on a bell schedule. Like in our middle school, we walk them everywhere, which like I understand they're little. I get it. It's but still creepy. Also, I don't need to walk a group of 11 year olds to lunch and like the ways in which certain teachers and like teaching practices like just command obedience and not critical thinking is just like do what I say and don't think about it like do it because I told you to um I think the roots of inequality in our society are placed at in education so I'm involved in teaching because this is the way in which I've chosen to practice my social justice being in classrooms with students and being a teacher that does not propagate injustice to the best of my ability, right? Cause it's, right, because I mean, you're constrained to some extent by right. the system that you're working in that's employing you, yeah. Right. But I feel like students can pick up on things in a really big way, at least in my experience. Like, even if you can't restructure the school for yeah. them, you know. Yeah, they're really perceptive. And oftentimes, yeah. honestly, they just want to be heard. Like, it's mm-hmm. very... And treated like humans. Yeah, and treated like yeah. people with dignity yeah. um, and not little like cattle to be herded that's right like, or like potential sources of bad behavior right or like yeah. potentially dangerous like I had a student yeah. last yeah. year who was a senior and she was black and a woman and she was just like miss did you hear about that time I got suspended because um like a teacher who happened to be white thought I was gonna hit her and I was just <sighs> getting my binder off the shelf like oh my god she yeah her parents got called in like it was just like the things that we as a society in general, like internalize about students that look different from the mainstream, mm-hmm. mainstream, right? Whatever, mm-hmm. blah, dominant culture, all that crap is just like absurd to me. And I just, they, they also, students also internalize it about of themselves. Course. Right, right. They have, like, how can they not, you know? Right. Yeah. So like. It's, so it's the way I've chosen to practice my social justice in my life, like, through my career. It's also, like, when I, th- when I think about, like, being in the classrooms with students and, like, what does it look like to practice social justice with kids? Um, and I think it's, it's – I'm still learning. Um, I'm not, like, going to say that I have the answers because I really don't. Um, but I think that it's just a matter of, again, hearing them and not mm-hmm. treating them like they're dangerous or a threat or any like fill in the blank, right? For how the media and our general society talks about students of color or people of color. But also like intervening when I see things that are clearly internalized. My female students, for example, being like, oh, girls are petty. I just want to be friends with boys. Mm-hmm. There's no drama with boys. Yeah. And I'm like, really? Because yeah. let's like think about this for a second. Yeah. That's totally how I was as a kid. And it took me a really long time to realize how problematic that was and how I had been affected by the society that I had been, you know, it's like oblivious to it as a kid. It takes a long time. Yeah. It's like, wow, I I hated myself in a way, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think we're taught to hate ourselves in some way or another. Even if you're a white, straight, rich, cis dude, like if you cry... Oh, oh right. whoa yeah yep. like yep you know so like there's internalized things about every every identity mm-hmm. um so I think just trying to intervene and like even if it's just like I don't know how effective it is right to like pull a kid out of class and be like this is why the word faggot is not a good word right um right. or like this is why saying that you know this student who identifies as male is not 
a female. Like, don't call him a female if he didn't say to you, hey, I'm a female. So, like, don't do that. Like, this is why this is wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, and you can never know, but at the same time, it's like you're presenting yourself as an adult who cares and who responds to these situations. Right. Which I think is huge. Right. Which is, like, the role of any instructor, right? Right. Educators, like, provide the safest space possible for students. Um, So it's, like, intervening in bullying, and it's also intervening in, like, self-deprecation. Right. Personal. Yeah. Perception. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also, like, providing space for kids. And this is something that I'm trying to figure out how to work into science teaching. Yeah. Um, It's something that I'm really curious to hear more about from you. Yeah. And, like, teaching to curriculum, because Mm -hmm. we are on a schedule, and, like, we inevitably will fall behind at some point. (laughs) So, like, taking a day to talk about, like police brutality probably like not going to be smiled upon by admin um who want us to like push through content but i also think it's incredibly important to not talk about it with students is especially like given i can't even count how many murders there have been or instances of violence so just i think giving students the space to talk about these things or even just sit in silence like you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to but like being like hey the world is being terrible right now and like if you want to just sit and meditate or like draw do that or like if you just want to lit to put like i'll put on instrumental music like i don't mm-hmm. i don't care mm-hmm. like right right but i don't i don't know how feasible that is i think one of the things that I have often struggled with, which you've sort of touched upon a little bit, is that I teach geology. Yeah. And I want my students to know that I care about these issues and that they're important to me and that I care about them. Yeah. But it also doesn't seem appropriate for me to get up before my lecture on the Cambrian radiation and be like, we're going to talk about police brutality for 15 minutes. That balance between wanting to reach out to students and also not wanting to make... Ev- I've had students come into my class after being in other classes where race was something that was discussed because it was a topic of the course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And coming into the science class and being like, ah, I don't have to talk about this anymore. This is like... Yeah, a break. A break, you know. No, yeah, weaving, like, systemic racism into science is definitely a challenge. But at the same time, it's like, I think it's so important. I don't know if weaving into the classroom is necessarily the way to do it, but I think it's so important because you know, science does have a problem with racism and oh, yes. lots of other isms. And so to yeah. just pretend that these challenges don't impact science is ridiculous. I, I mean, I think that leads nicely into what I was going to say next is that, like, I'm thinking critically about how to have discussions with students about, like, who gets heard in science. Yeah. Like, whose work gets published. Yeah, yeah. And, like, why. Right. And, and, um, and why, like, most of the people that you teach about are white men. Yeah. And also thinking about, like, like I think a good way to weave it in also is environmental racism. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, yeah. So I, I like, I honestly don't know as much as I want to about environmental racism. Um, like, I know the gist of it. And, like, a good example is the Dakota Pipeline right now. Yeah. So, like, weaving those issues in. Oh, especially because of all the police brutality that's happening. Well, I guess there's higher security or whatever. For the pipeline. For the pipeline, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean... All the violence that's going on there. <clears throat> just because that... they're being paid by someone else doesn't mean that it's, like, not... Right. Yeah. Part of the police state. Exactly. Yes. Right. Um, Part of the system. So... Yeah. So, yeah. And and how, like, the media isn't talking about it. Right. 
also. Yeah, that was um, something that I thought I would talk about at the end of the semester, like when I talk about human-induced climate change in the course I'm teaching right now, is like, yeah. before I've just sort of presented it, this is the data, but you know, I could at least include some data or slides on how this is going to impact certain groups of people more than yeah. others. Yeah. yeah. And that those people are mostly people of color and yes. people of lower socioeconomic status. Yeah. Yeah. I also think like when I have my own classroom, not to talk about Megmore, but I'm going to talk about <laughs> Megmore. <laughs> I mean, she's like doing work in the Delta. Yeah. Because of Katrina and right. like the issues of, I don't know the like proper geologic term for it, but like the Delta disappearing, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and how like people make their living off of that landscape and how, most of those people are of color and poor and like, what are we doing for them as scientists? Right. Yeah. Um, and like, she's down there doing that work because she wants to be involved in social justice in that way. Um, so like when I have my classroom, I'm totally going to ask her to Skype in yeah, and talk about her work. Yeah. yeah and be like, this is what geologists could do. This yeah. is what you could do. Any fun, like, going to school in a museum stories? I mean, it's just, like, very neat, especially in the beginning, because they, like, like, the second week or so, they had, like, a reception for us in the Hall of Planet Earth, where they, like, like, the museum was closed. It was, like, after hours, but they, like, roped off the Hall of Planet Earth, and, like, they had a bar. I, like, got kind of tipsy in the Hall of You're like, I've made it. (laughs) It was such a strange experience. I know. I was like, is this what dreams are? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was just, like, very funny. Um, and you can, like, I, like, found out ways to, like, go on the roof, which is cool. <gasps> what? Yeah. Um, there are stairways that go to the roof. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Seeing all of Central Park and Manhattan from the roof of the museum has been very cool. That's amazing. Yeah, and just, like, thinking about education through the lens of museum education is really interesting. Just because, like... Yeah, do you guys do... I mean, is there an aspect of it that is museum education focused? Yeah. Yeah. So the first summer, so this past summer, we do a museum residency where it's, like, three rotations. So the first rotation is a... Like, you know when you go into the museum or any museum and there are, like, little museum workers behind carts? Yes. The little, like, mobile specimen carts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did that for three weeks. It was what, did, what cards did you have? Okay, so we rotated. So it was the okay. Hall of Planet Earth. Okay. There was the Hall of Gems and Minerals, mm-hmm. which was insane. It was... Okay, have you been in this museum? Uh, yes. Okay, yes. so do you yeah. remember the Hall of Gems and Minerals at all? Uh, I think I went straight to, like, the dinosaur floor. But... That's fair. It's the coolest floor. <laughs> um, so it's this, like, carpeted room that has no... Like, it's a dead end. So... What parents do is they tend to just, like, stand by the entrance and just be like, go look at the shiny things while I check my email. And, like, it's, it's like, dusty. It kind of smells weird. Yeah. That, that like, yeah. carpet mixed with unknown fluid smell. <laughs> it's, like, gross. Um, and also, like, the gems and minerals that we have on our cart. Okay, we started out with, like, a huge maybe like six inch long two inch thick biotite sample mm-hmm. it was beautiful it was so great and by the end of the three weeks 
it was destroyed. <laughs> it was like complete glitter. I was like, <laughs> how did this happen? Oh my god! But like little ones, you know? Yeah, like, they just grab and right. You right, can just right, peel right. it off like paper. Right, like, right, all right, of it. Right. Yeah. Um. So that was always the craziest part. And then we also were in the Hall of African Peoples, the Hall of Central America, the Hall of Mexico and Central America, and, oh my god, the Hall of New York State Environment. Mm-hmm, like the deer, like stuffed deer. No, that's the no? that's the Hall of North American Mammals. Oh. So uh, no, okay. New York State Environment is the hall that everyone walks through to get to the Hall of Ocean Life, but nobody actually yeah. stops in. Okay. It's like, it's like... Doesn't it have dioramas in it? It does. Okay. I don't know. There might be a deer. I don't know. Maybe there's, maybe there's a turtle. There are also, like, dead bugs that aren't supposed to be in the dark. <laughs> that have gotten in there and died. And have probably been well, there for, like, Well, they're in New years. York State, so... They are. They actually it's technically accurate. belong in the exhibit. So, why fix it? It's not broken, right? Uh. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's really fun to talk me. to you. Yeah. Maybe we'll have you on after another year of teaching. Oh. For like a little a little update. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Checking back in. Well, they're lucky to have you. Oh, lucky to have them. Oh. I know. <laughs> All right. I will talk to you soon, Nikita. All right. Bye. Bye. You can find us all over the internet. Head to femaleofthespecies.org to learn more about the podcast and get info on each episode. You can find us on Twitter at Female of the SP. Facebook, just search for Female of the Species. And you can email us at femaleofthesp at gmail.com. You can subscribe to Female of the Species on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. And we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Female of the Species is produced by Tamar Avishai with help from Anna Saldinger. That's what you are.